Well, good morning once again, church family. In this second week of Advent, we have lit the candle of peace. Um, And at least for those of us who live in this part of the world, I think it's appropriate that Advent takes place during the darkest time of the year. It reminds us of the world's darkness, its bitterness, its suffering, its trials, its sadness. It reminds us also of the people of God before the time of Christ who experienced their suffering in Egypt, the exodus, the exile, the wanderings. Times were very dark, and yet God promised a Messiah to come and help who would be called the Prince of Peace. Advent is about, again, waiting, waiting for God's promised redemption and restoration of all things. But isn't it hard to have peace while you wait? Man, that can be so tough. How can we have peace in this world of darkness and sin when nothing seems to be at peace? I would simply say this to you this morning. I believe this. We can have peace because of God's presence and God's providence. We can have peace because of God's presence and God's providence. This week, if you're just joining us, we're continuing our sermon series through, uh, called Ancient Paths. Uh, we're going through the Apostles' Creed and the Lord. And last week, we talked about putting our faith in God, saying, I believe in God. I'm trusting God. And today, we're looking at the second part of that, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and, and earth. Although I'm going to go in the opposite direction a little bit, if I can be creative. We're going to start with maker of heaven and earth and then come back to the Father Almighty. Okay, so let's look at maker of heaven and earth. Sometimes you might wonder, why, why is there something rather than nothing? Have you ever wondered that? Why, why do things exist at all? Why do I exist? How did we get here? Christianity teaches that we are not alone on a spinning planet in the universe. We're not alone out here. There is a maker of all of this. And in God's sovereign freedom, in His perfect wisdom, and His overflowing love and joy, He desired, He willed to create us, to create you and me, to create everything your eyes see, and also the things that we don't see. The Nicene Nicene Creed adds all things visible and invisible. The earthly, the earthly realm that we see and also the spiritual realm of things we don't see. God made it all. Now, the Apostles' Creed is a little bit more doctrinal than some other series we've talked about, so I thought I might need the assistance of a whiteboard this morning. And um, I, I almost feel like one of those chefs on a cooking show. It's like, I've already brought out for you a done whiteboard, all right? Don't, th- don't have to make it uh, right now. Uh, but... Christianity teaches that God is over creation. I hope this image is helpful to you, that God, that God is not creation. We don't believe in pantheism or pananthism, God in creation, and creation is not God. Creation is not eternal. It's not self-existent. It is below God. It is dependent on God. It derives everything from God. So there is a clear divide between God and creation, but there's also clear dependence of creation upon God. 
This is what we mean when we say there's a maker of heaven and earth. God over creation, loving creation, empowering creation. I feel like I need to move this so that you can see me. There we go. Now I can see Gina stand again. All is right in the world. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes we, t- we think about natural laws and natural forces, and, you know, but the world is not upheld by these things. The world is upheld by God. God is the one who continues to choose to preserve all of life and all of us. Why does God do this? Because He wants to share with us His very life, His love, His joy, His very self, His presence. Creation does not point to itself, but it points to its maker. Kelvin called creation a a theater for God's glory, that this whole thing displaying the wonder and beauty and glory and love of God. This doctrine teaches that there is a maker behind the machine. There is an artist behind the artwork. There is an architect behind the blueprints. There is an author behind the story. How do we come to know who our maker is? How do we come to know who the author is? Now, I heard Tim Keller recount this story of uh, Yuri Gagarin. In 1961, Gagarin was the first human to ever go into space and orbit the earth. Now, this is the time of the space race in the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union proclaimed and uh, wanted to influence people with the doctrine of atheism, that there was no God. And so, Gagarin gets up there, and it's uh, reported that he said, he said that I was up there and there was no God. God was not up there. And so the, the Soviets loved this and they you know, promoted this. And uh, C.S. Lewis was around at, at that time and he heard about this. And he, and he writes an essay where he says, this is preposterous. Uh, this would be like uh, Hamlet going to the top of the castle and saying he didn't find Shakespeare there. He says, if, if there is a God, we would not relate to him like a person relates to somebody on the first floor going up to the second floor. We don't find God by going higher up. If Hamlet could look all around the stage, all around that that world he's in, he would not find Shakespeare. There's only one way Hamlet could come to know about the existence of Shakespeare, and that's if Shakespeare wrote himself into the story. Now, it's not exactly like this, but close. (laughs) That's what Jesus did in coming to earth. God has written Himself into the story of the universe so that we could know Him. He saw our brokenness. He saw our sin. He saw humanity searching for God, wondering who this God is, and He has written Himself into the story by coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We heard Rick read John 1. He is, Jesus was co, is co-equal with God the Father. In creation, it says God spoke and it was so. That Word of God that, that created creation, that's, that was Jesus. The Word of God in creation as the Spirit hovered over the waters. The three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is the maker of heaven and earth, writing Himself into our story. Karl Barth says the world was created and sustained by the little child that was born in Bethlehem. By the man who died on the cross of Golgotha and the third day rose again. 
That is the word of creation by which all things were brought into being. So God sends His word to become incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. It says the word became flesh, it took on hu- divinity, took upon humanity, and made His dwelling among us. Now, it's interesting in, in Christian theology and other places, God the Father often appears to get the credit for creation. You know, the, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, that, in a sense, you know, if the Father is the origin of all things, that can make sense. But the Bible and theology always make clear that the Son is there creating with the Father and the Spirit is hovering o- over the waters. So, it's, there's no divide in the Trinity that all of them have done this together as one God. And so, it's been said that the Father does His work through the arms of the Son and the Spirit. Again, our Maker has written Himself into the story. He sent His very presence to be with us. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We are not alone. God is with us, and His presence is what gives us peace no matter what happens in this fallen world. Jesus came to bring us fallen creatures back into the presence of God. But to do so, He had to unite humanity and divinity together in His own person. He had to suffer and die for our sins, which separate us from God. He had to die to defeat death, which separates us from life. And He brought all of that victory into heaven, opened its gates for all whosoever believe may enter in and have life with God forever. It's about presence with God in His presence. What good news. What good news that this is the God we worship, that this is the maker of heaven and earth is this God. And so now we can understand what we mean when we say God is the Father Almighty. Let's look at the Father Almighty. Because when you live in this dark world, you might conclude that maybe, maybe its maker is evil. Maybe the maker doesn't care. Maybe there is no maker after all. But Jesus reveals that the maker is a loving father. And we only know that God is father because, again, God writes himself into the story by the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And so uh, the early church uh, talked about this, and one, one church father commented, Tertullian, he writes, Father makes son, and son makes father. A father must have a son to be a father, and a son must have a father to be a son. So God has always been father, son, and spirit. So He's talking about the eternal nature of God as Father because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, as John wrote, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. See, what's John saying? We've never seen the invisible God. Only Christ has seen the Father. But Jesus has made the Father known. We know God as Father because of Jesus and His relationship with the Father. And Jesus was always speaking about this relationship with the Father. And then, miraculously, He teaches us to pray to the Maker, Our Father. Our Father. God is the eternal Father of Jesus, 
But then by extension, those who belong to Christ, those who are in Him, become children of this heavenly Father. Again, it was read, it was read earlier, but did you catch this? It says, Jesus came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children who are not of natural intent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Remember, Jesus said to enter the kingdom, we need to be born again. Born again as children of the Heavenly Father, the Father Almighty. And when you're born into this family, you are born into the care of the Father Almighty. Shouldn't that give us peace? (laughs) You're born into this Father's care He is Father, so He is good, and He is loving, and He is Almighty, so therefore He is all-powerful and can do all He desires. And so as the Maker, God's creation expresses His fatherly care, His love, but also His almighty power because He simply spoke and brought all of us into existence. That's almightiness, right? These are not simply abstract theological concepts. Trusting in this God, this relationship with this God, who is Father Almighty, brings peace in our lives. I mean, remember, remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, don't, don't worry about your life. Look at the birds of the air. They, they don't sow or reap or they, they don't store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? You're in the care of the Father Almighty. God is going to take care of you. God is going to provide for you. But I think, at least for me and I think for most humans, this raises a theological but important question. If God is Father and good and loving, and if He's Almighty and can do all He wants, then why do so many bad things happen to me if I'm in this Father's care? How do we understand God's providence in our lives? Now, Oh, beloved friends, I've, I've preached on this topic before, and I cannot give to you today a, a whole theology of this, um, but let me give you a framework that I, I, I hope is helpful to you, and I'm going to bring out my handy-dandy whiteboard. And again, voila, <laughs> it's already made. <laughs> so this is like an axis, right? So up here we have total human free will. No human free will on the bottom. On this axis, we have God's sovereignty, God's rule over creation. And over here, God is not in charge or there's no God. So in this corner down here, God is is not ruling and humans are not ruling. This might be what you call fate. Even some atheists believe in this, that the idea that we are just chemical reactions, we we are already determined biologically, so all that happens is already predetermined because of biology. So, some people believe in this doctrine. You don't have to believe in God to believe in fate. Now, uh, over here would be total human free will, but God is not in charge. You might call this autonomy. You might think of some of those American founding fathers who were deists. They believe that, you know, God just made the world but kind of has abandoned it. He's not doing anything. He made the world with natural laws and set it loose. Um, And so, these things are important because when you think about what's happening in the world, what kind of universe has God made? And what, therefore, what, what's happening to me? You know, if, 
this bad thing happened to me. Well, this was just, this was just destined to be. This was predetermined by biology, by biology. For things that happen to us here, you might just say, you know what? You had good luck or you had bad luck. You were dealt a good hand or you were dealt a bad hand. That's what this would say. Over here, this is God's total sovereignty and no human free will, what we call determinism. Now, this would propose that God is the, uh, the determiner of all things, that there really is no human free will, that God is the one deciding everything. Now, um, I think this can lead to some very problematic uh, um, theology and also when, when you're suffering. Because if you believe that this is what the universe is, then this is, you know, this bad thing that happened to me, this was God's plan. You know, and so many Christians say so many hurtful things when people are suffering. Well, this was, this was God's plan for you, or, you know, or, or, you know, and, or God des- decided this. You know, I mean, that could be a really um, horrific thing to say, I think. Um, but I think what the Bible teaches and what Christian theology over the centuries have taught is this upper right corner, where at the very same time, there is f- human free will and God's sovereignty, which we call providence. This is how God is working in our lives. And you wonder, how, how can both of these things be true at the same time? Well, friends, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Can I hear anybody who believes the Bible is the Word of God? Okay, I was hoping. I've been preaching to you for a long time now. Whew. The Bible is a it's the Word of God, but it's completely also made by humans, right? It was written down by people. It's been you know, coalesced over the years. It's been collected. It is a human document written in a specific time and place. And yet, we believe that God, by the Holy Spirit, was able to inspire these people to give us the Bible that we have today, right? Don't we believe that? In the same way, that's what we believe about providence, that in this human world that people are doing their things, making all kinds of choices, And yet God is able to so inspire and act and weave and redeem that His plan and purposes will always be accomplished no matter what humans do at the same time. And I was trying to come up, I mean, we're trying to get into the mind of God, so this is difficult. Uh, But I was thinking about like uh, like an amazing painter. And you ever seen, I, I just picture a painter with a huge canvas. And you ever seen like people painting and they can like weave in anything they want? It's like they, get, like they like make a mistake and they can weave that mistake into the creation. You can't even tell. I think it's kind of, I picture the universe like this, that, that God is the master painter and he's allowed other people to paint things too. He allows us to paint. Other people have the ability to paint on this canvas. And, and, and sometimes it seems like people are dumping, you know, a, a can of white paint or, or black paint or they're dumping a weird confetti colored paint on this painting, and it seems like it's going to mess the whole thing up, but God is a master, and He's able to weave and do this <laughs> and make it into a masterpiece. No matter what we do, God can redeem and accomplish His purposes for the world, even when human beings do horrific things. That's how amazing God is. I hope this is of helpful to you as you think about how you can live in peace. The best example that I can give you of this is that of Jesus Christ. You know, we were talking at confirmation this morning about the book of Judges. 
and it's like one of the most horrific books of the Bible. So many disturbing things, and even the Bible's trying to get you to realize, like, this was a really bad time. The people were abandoning God, and yet God is like redeeming, God is redeeming them. He's, he's putting His Spirit on some of the judges. Like, God is still working despite what's going on. And you read almost any part of the Old Testament, and if you didn't know, pretend you don't know about Jesus, you would be like, what is going on? What is God doing? They're in Egypt for 400 years. They're in exile. They're wandering. I mean, even the monarchy, like almost all the kings are bad and evil and wicked. And if you were to zoom in on any part of the story, you would conclude that maybe there is no God and there's no plan. And the prophets were promising a day is coming when a Messiah will be born. And gosh, and if you even zoomed in on Good Friday, you might conclude that ah, this whole thing was a sham, that Jesus was really out of his mind, that God's plan has failed. But the problem is we always evaluate God's fatherly almightiness prematurely. Because what we know about Jesus Christ, that through all of this history that we have in the Bible, God was able to work to come in the fullness of time, at the perfect time. And though it looked like the greatest tragedy, it was actually all of humanity's redemption. And the Bible makes very clear that the powers of the day, by their own free will, they decided to put Jesus to death because they viewed Him as a threat. But despite their human choices, God was weaving His plan that He used those human free will choices to accomplish the redemption of all humanity and the entire universe. And friend, if God is doing that in Je- did that in Jesus and you're in Jesus Christ, then what God did for Him, God ultimately does for us. That nothing that happens to us, nothing in all this creation can thwart God's redemptive purpose for your life. It doesn't mean that Suffering is good in and of itself. It doesn't mean that God caused it, that God planned it, but that God is able to weave it and redeem it and use it for the maximum good possible. It may be years or decades until you see what God is doing with it. You may never see it in your lifetime because what we learn from Scripture is God works things out over a long, long period of time. It seems like forever. But a day with God is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And I believe when you put your trust in this God, at the end of all things, you're going to be astounded because you're going to be looking at a mosaic that you've never seen. And we're just going to bow in awe of His fatherly almightiness that all that we have experienced is redeemed. It all makes sense, and it all is used by God for His glory and our good. So by faith, we believe what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. So we accept this. We accept this by faith. Not because we see it necessarily, sometimes we get to, but because we know who Jesus is. And we know what God has done in Jesus Christ. This we believe by faith. And when you put your trust in 
this God, that's what gives us peace. We trust that He's with us, and we trust that providentially He's working all things out. I may not be able to see it, but I know who my God is, therefore I believe. And that's what gives us peace. That's what gives us peace. In all things, we trust we are in the hands of the Father Almighty. He is good. He is loving. He is powerful. So therefore, you are free to stop worrying about your life, how it's going or how it'll turn out, because you're in the care of the Father Almighty. And as the Bible says, He makes all things beautiful in its time. In its time. Sometimes over a long time, but in its time. And finally, I I just feel like I cannot sum this up better than what it says in the Heidelberg Catechism. Again, the church asks, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? This is what we believe, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by His eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt He will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good, whatever adversity He sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this because He is Almighty God and desires to do this because He's a faithful Father. I love how that captures everything we just said and how honest it is, right? In this sad world, the world is dark, but a light has come. A light of peace has come in Jesus Christ. God has written himself into our story. And in the end, he promises to restore all things. So friends, Jesus Christ is to you the presence and the good providence of God. Put your trust in him alone and you will find a peace that surpasses all understanding.